Hi, my name is Gail Febo. I'm the VP Exploration for Kingfisher Metals. Kingfisher is uh, operating in BC. We're exploring for high-grade copper and gold in underexplored districts. Gail, thank you very much for the introduction and really nice to meet you. Um, I'm looking forward to the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes, talking through your projects with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Now, I spoke to Dustin pretty much six months ago, just under six months ago. And I remember being struck, A, by the, the, the really good quality of the photographs um, that uh, you guys had taken. He had one of his ski buddies who was, he'd been up with the, the previous scene and, and got a whole bunch of uh, really good um, images. But also yes. the kind of the, the underexplored nature of where you are. Um, I, I, I recall that you had these three projects. There was um, Gold Range, oh, the, the, and, and they had the VMS one, and then you had the, the Tebow one up at the, in the far north. But you're very much focused on um, Gold Range, aren't you? And you're actually, are you actually at the Gold Range camp at the moment? That's right. I'm on site right now. Um, Gold Range has taken most of our exploration money this year. It's, it's really been our, our focus right now. How, it, remind me, what are the, can you just kind of, have you, can you share a map with me, just kind of put into context where it is and, and just talk to me about your trip there and how do you get there? Is it, um, I, I, you, just before we started, you said you've got some investors um, visiting, you know, how do they come in? Do they come in by helicopter or can they drive some of the way? Um, you know, what, what, what are the logistics like? Sure. All right. So this is kind of the big picture here. This is a BC scale map and you can see the location of our other projects, Tibbert Extol. So we're in a pretty nice region of BC. It's um, relatively mild down here. And um, we, people often fly into Williams Lake, which is about a three hour drive into the project. So you fly from Vancouver up to Williams Lake and then drive in along the highway. We're only about 20 minutes uh, from the highway on a gravel road. So it's excellent access. We've got road access to the property. Uh, there's also a, a you can fly to Anaheim Lake as well, which is only about an hour. So, so really easy getting people in and out. So, so um, could you just just show me with your mouse where those where those kind of air landing strips are? Um, yeah. Well, this so Anaheim would be just north, I yep. believe, and then um, Williams Lake would be over here to the to the east. Okay. Okay. And um, there we go. There's the Gold Range project. Yeah. Yeah, so here, here's Williams Lake. This is a better view, actually. And then this is the about a three-hour drive. And then we just come south a little bit on this gravel road, and our camp's, like, right at the White Saddle Air Base, and, which um, is just what's... kind of on the margin of the claims here. Thank you. Thanks. So um, what altitude is the camp? Oh, I don't know if I know that offhand. <laughs> <laughs> um that's a good question. Uh, we've got a pretty big range like throughout the project because it's, it's um, this is the Waddington uh, mountain range. Waddington's, you know, the biggest mountain in, in BC, I believe. And so, you know, there's a big range of uh, peaks and, and valleys here. Um, and with what uh, kind of what height do you spend most of your time working? You know, where are the, so the, the, the three main names that I can remember from Gold Range are Cloud Drifter, Langara and Day Tripper. And I've, I've yeah. just seen from your I've seen from your news releases that you're really focused on day tripper at the moment. Um, what 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 rough altitude is that at? Um, day trip I think is around 1,200 meters okay. elevation, and cloud trip uh, cloud drifter is a little bit lower than that, um, but it does go up to that that elevation as well. So there's a pretty good good range there. And so the camp is kind of in a valley, well below that. So it it, it feels yeah, mount, well, mountain air, but not high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time I've met you. Um, you've spent uh, your your little bio on the web on the on the web page says you've spent seventeen years working in BC. Have you worked in similar kind of areas to this before? Uh, I've I've really cut my boots in the the Iskit mining district. So that's you know KSM, Bruce Jack, Glore Creek. That's what promoters would call it, the Golden Triangle. Um, so I've worked with a lot of structurally controlled gold systems. I haven't worked in this area before, actually, um, so it's it's quite new to me. But a lot of similar themes, for sure. And when you say similar themes, you mean as in structurally controlled gold mineralization? That's right. That's right. You know, I think the biggest theme is the the significance of deep structures. So you know, translithospheric structures are a great place to explore. And 
if you're in those locations, you can make kind of a wide range of mineral systems. So, you know, in the, in the Iskit, in that case, you can see you know, porphyry deposits, calcocalic, alcalic, you'll see, you know, epithermal vein, NVMS, all in very close proximity. And they're being, they're tapping the same, you know, translithospheric structure. And that's sort of the common denominator to these gold systems. And I think that's a big theme in gold systems in general. And that's something that, that is proving up quite well here is the importance of that um, Yalakum fault complex that comes through here. It's a major crustal break. And so that's kind of the theme that I'm seeing. And then obviously on the deposit scale uh, as well, you know, structurally controlled gold systems are, uh, you know, they behave similarly in the patterns that, that we see. In this, in the, the, the age is in different. So we're looking yeah. at uh, Cretaceous aged systems and up there, obviously, well, there is a range. And part of the reason for that is the, you know, that structure is always there. So you get different mineral events over time and what they have in common is the structure. And we see that here as well. Uh, you get, you know, porphyry systems coming through vein systems and, and then orogenic, you know, so there's, there's kind of that hybrid setting where you can find a lot of different mineral styles. Yeah. I've been listening to some lectures by John Hronsky on, um, on YouTube and he's, he is very much kind of a mineral systems guy. And he's talking about those translithopheric structures, which um, where they are fertile, um, they are active at different time, different periods over time. So you have periods of quiescence and then periods of um, activity and they can be um, covered um, and then reactivated. And if they're in the right, uh, if, if they've got the, the tapping kind of the right um, metallogenic zones, you will get mineral deposits along it. And the, the, the geometries, the manifestation will depend on the local um, rheologies, the local site-specific um, stress fields, the, right, the, the, the local chemistries, the local, the different geologies and pressures and temperatures and timings. But you, you can be sure that they will be there. And it's really the job of the geologists to kind of put everything together and to almost predict what's going to be there. Yeah, well, I could talk about this all day. I, per I should probably stop myself, <laughs> but this is a you know, overlap. So some of my master's thesis work around Bruce Jack, KSM, and um, and just sort of that structural common denominator that they have with with SK and you know how those pattern out differently whether you're making a rift or under compression or you know these different structural settings as you said it, it can play out really differently. But what's important is that you know that process that's happening at depth. And the presence of that structure and and you kind of need that to begin with and i think that's so important with exploration in general you need to be looking in the right place and if you're in the right place you can get lucky but if you're not kind of working with these first order uh you know gold controls you know why bother you can find gold everywhere almost but you know you want to reduce your risk in the first place with the claims that you're getting and that's that's something we really believe in you know Tibbert is the same thing where we've, we've staked kind of that whole structural, uh, that crustal break, and that's what our project follows. And I just, I think you can get so much luckier and there's so much risk in exploration. You have to reduce it at every step. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the first place you do it. Now, um, so, so you've done that on the gold range set of titles, but you started drilling, you, you took your rab rigs up there in May up to the camp and you've been drilling this one prospect area called um, day tripper what was the what was the tipping factor that made you concentrate your efforts first at day tripper relative to cloud drifter or langara or any other zone within that broader license area was it logistics or was it the quality of the data or a function of the two it, it was partly logistics because um we decided to go with a rab drill this year so we got two drills we've got we're doing the diamond drilling at Cloud Drifter and the day trip zone, uh, we've got a RAB drill there. One of the reasons we wanted to use the RAB for day trip was because we had mineralization on surface. So it was the RAB, it's got some pros and cons. So it's working really well for us. And part of the reason is that it's, um, we get real time XRF data. So, you know, we drill the hole and, you know, within one or two days, 
like we've got the data in Leapfrog and we can see what's going on. We project that, we plan our next hole. So it's very fast, it's very effective. Um, the RAB doesn't need water. It doesn't need, uh, it needs minimal heli support. And so day trip just made a lot of sense because we had surface min, uh, it's a nice rolling slope. So we can just move around with the, it's got um, it's track mounted rig. So it can move itself. And so it was just really easy. Um, and that's the reason we started with the RAB. Um, of course, you- RAB has cons as well. Uh, the way the way that the chips are returned to surface, um, it air blasts them through the outside of the rod. And so there's always potential for contamination with intervals that are above the sample that's been collected. So, so just, so, just, just remind me and the viewers what RAB does. It's a rotary air blast. Um, mm-hmm. that's a, it's a, um, a cone or a kind of a percussion head that cuts down and it sends the, it's like a percussion rig, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to kind of <laughs> relay, but it's, uh, you know, you're, you're hammering the rock at the base of the hole, generating kind of chips and dust, and then you use the air to, to kind of blast that out. And that's returned on the, the outs- outside of the rod. To the outside of the rods. Yeah, mm-hmm. whereas I believe the RC is through the, the inside. And so yeah. with the RC, you could use that for a resource, for example, and and um, because you don't have that risk of contamination, but with RAB, you can. We Apparently, the, the risk of con- contamination comes in more so uh, when you have a wet hole. And we haven't encountered any water yet at day trip. So we're pretty happy with how it's working. We, we have high confidence in it. And honestly, I really wish we had started with RAB sooner for other targets even. It's so fast um as i'm sure you know our assay (laughs) assay times last year were abysmal um it made it was our biggest challenge with with targeting we just had nothing to work with and we had never drilled it and so you know you're drilling there are a lot of veins here and you're going through them and you don't know is this a is this a 0.1 gram vein or is this a 20 gram vein and we just didn't know and and that was really challenging and with the rab we can find those pathfinders right away um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really impressed with how it's going. And I, I think that I'm not, I'm not concerned about cross-contamination at, at day trip. Um, remind me, how, what, what are your average depth of holes? and How deep can you go with a rab rig, with your rab rig? The, the max depth in really good rock would be about 100 meters. We're maxing out around 50 to 70, and it's quite broken on surface. Um, day trip is, it's quite oxidized, so there's a lot of just kind of blocky, oxidized rock and um, it's just a pretty grungy looking ridge <laughs> um, and so the, the drilling's not it's not really confident which is very normal for you know and what do you oxidize down to Where, where's your oxidation depth appearing to come down to pretty much the depth of drilling i would say you can find right. a lot of ox- iron oxide minerals in the, like at okay at depth yeah okay and um, i don't know if that's like more of a recent effect you know just just from the being nearly exposed or if that's kind of like a paleo hydrothermal thing i, I don't know uh but right but it's pretty broken and oxidized uh so far right through and um just just kind of remind me of the, the um of the day tripper what, what are we looking at here are you trying to intersect um high grade narrow um widths of quartz veins or is this kind of a kind of a is, is it a bulk tonnage target there are sort of two bodies that we are mostly targeting. We've got a few, uh, a few different geophysical targets, but we wanted to start with the highest confidence. So we were looking at where soils, rock samples, and geophysics all agreed. <laughs> and so we picked sort of two principal areas that looked um, the they they looked they were the highest confidence targets for us and. The first one is a breccia target. So last year, what we learned was that more than anything, you need a breccia to get the high grade. And that's just the situation. So now we've started to really elevate our breccia targets regionally and think, okay, well, if this is where the grade really holds together, you know, we need to drill more of these. And that was part of the reason we, we decided to drill day trip. 
So it's about a 70 by 90 meter zone on the ridge where you get big blocks of arsenal pyrite cement breccia. Okay. So the cement is the is I think, the I, think I lost you for a second. Sorry. Okay, we're back. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, <I'm... laughs> so in this domain, you know, the majority of the pieces sitting on kind of a flat ridge are these coarse chunks of of breccia with sulfide cement. And most of them are really oxidized, but you can see the arsino pyrite in some of them, and the pathfinders are all there as well. And, you know, we had samples in that material that ran up to 20 grams. You know, I think it was between three and 20 grams. And so we thought, okay, well, here's a great target. We've got something on surface. We're just going to set up the rab drill right on top of that and start drilling into it and figure out, you know, what's its geometry and what kind of a scale could this be? And then the second target is a main and breccia corridor that kind of disappears under talus to the west and this one's intrusive hosted so they're they're really interesting they're quite different the intrusive hosted body it's uh it's also got grades so we have a sample uh you know two meters of 6.7 grams i think you know so it's 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 good grade we don't we don't really see sulfide in it. So it's quite a different beast. Mm. And that's probably just a host rock thing. I, I would interpret that they're all part of the same hydrothermal system. Um, but that Arsino breccia, it's coming through, you know, intermediate mafic, volcaniclastic, siltstone, sandstone. So a lot of different things to react with there. And the intrusion is just a really monotonous diorite. So it just has less, it's just picking up less, I don't know what, but it's, it's different. You know, the hydrothermal mineralogy expresses quite differently there. Um, so we sort of separated those out as targets just because they had a different character, different pathfinders, and they're a little bit spatially separated. And um, does it feel like it's kind of a polyphase event? Does it feel as if there's kind of what you're seeing? Does it feel as if this is kind of a breccia that is kind of related to one event or is this kind of a, uh, a long-lived system? Was it too early to tell? It would be hard to say that. <laughs> I think um, there's quite a range of mineralogy, mineralogy that we see sort of even aside from those two general differences. And um, it does appear to be fairly com complex. But, you know, so far what we have is, is quite a lot of rubble on surface and um, kind of a short mapping uh, campaign I did there. And now we've got a bunch of chips. <laughs> so I really want to see the diamond drill core and start to understand the system I, it's pretty early days uh for for those kind of interpretations but certainly that would bode well seeing a lot of different hydrothermal events um what so what's your um we'll come on to the diamond drilling which is a future event but what are you seeing at the moment from your drilling so are you um you said you identified these two targets through mapping and now you're drilling and you've put out a news release today uh talking mm -hmm. about good um xrf data so what have you seen in terms of geometry, style of mineralization? Has it confirmed what you thought you were seeing from your mapping? Have you changed your interpretation? Um, what are your, what, what's the kind of the data indicating? Yeah, we, we definitely have changed our interpretation. Um, I think we all pretty much agree we underestimated the, the scale and the continuity of the system. Um, you know, we were kind of targeting two uh, fairly focused bodies that we saw on surface, but this isn't 100% outcrop, so you don't really know what's under there. And what we're seeing is that, well, for one, our pathfinders are working great. So, you know, the pathfinder is basically all of the elements that we've identified in the region that correlate really closely with gold. So for us, that's, you know, arsenic, bismuth, copper, lead, zinc, antimony. Um, the XRF is picking these up with great accuracy and it's working so well. And what's even better is that all of the pathfinders pick up in the same intercepts. So we know the width and the location that we're gonna have intercepts, but we don't know what the grade will be, uh, but we can see pretty clearly, you know, it's from here to here, and then we can start to correlate hole to hole. Um, how is it going? It's going really well. We planned, you know, about a month of RAV drilling and that was going to include Langara and Standard. Um, and almost two months later, we're still at day trip. We're, we're pretty happy with what we're seeing. Uh, we've intercepted uh, strong pathfinders in all of the holes. And, you know, that's coupled with 
the chip observations as well, right? So when when you find the pathfinders are really picking up, then we, you know, take it into the microscope and look, and you're going to see predominantly, uh, well, especially in the Western, the, the intrusive target area, you see mostly quartz. And so, you know, we know we're in the hydrothermal stuff because we don't have quartz in the intrusion. So you see a bunch of quartz, you say, okay, we're in a hydrothermal intercept and we've got the pathfinders. So that looks really good. In the, in the Eastern target area, it's, it's quite uh, grungy and oxidized. So you, you're basically just going to see little chunks of, you know, deep blood red something, you know, it's some kind of iron oxide product of a sulfide. So we're not getting yeah. great mineral ID in there, but that doesn't uh, concern me at all because similar samples on surface are associated with, with good grades. So it's, it's and, and you might have the situation that it's flushed. You know, it might be that that's actually a depleted zone. If it's um, you know very hydrothermal, uh, uh, yeah, I mean it's very hydrothermally altered. I mean, yes, it's good that you've got some great at surface, but um, just as long as you've got that kind of mineral intensity, uh, it, it's it's you know it's it's a good sign at this stage. Yeah, absolutely, and you know the process of oxidation it, it doesn't really guarantee upgrading or downgrading. It's a little bit of a crapshoot because yeah. if you're losing the sulfide, you're losing a bit of weight. And then, well, where was the gold? It depends if the gold was in the quartz or was it in the sulfide. You're kind of changing the grams and the tons when you oxide. Yeah. And sometimes maybe you're bringing those both down, but then the grams per ton would still be the same. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. And I don't think there's really a, a very significant change overall when you get oxidized um, material. There can be, but, um, and even if that was the case, that wouldn't be too concerning because we could just diamond drill through that layer. Yeah. Do you have a map which shows where you've, where you've done the rab drilling? Um, and perhaps you can talk on that to uh, where you've started your rab drilling and where you've added to it. Can you, can you see the screen here? I certainly can. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, zoomed in of the day trip zone. So just to orient you, this is the cloud drifter. Um, yeah. Down in the right. You can see the, the mouse here. Yep. Okay. And then... Uh, day trip is is about I think five kilometers to the southeast. Yeah, and this is kind of a zoomed in of day. Actually, I'll just go out a little bit to give you a bit more context. So this is the ridge top I was talking about, and here's the this like trace of this sulfide breccia that was uh, identified. So to so give you a sense of our timeline, so, so, so that's the first that's target one that you described, which is oxidized, and you said it's about seventy by ninety meters. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the breccia target area. Yeah. And then and you also have the, the, the other one, which is the sheeted vein in the, with the, with the, um, with the intrusion. That's right. And, and that's down here. And you can see actually some pretty white rock in here. There's, there's quite a bit of it. So it's kind of a vein in breccia. Um, so this is sort of the location. The rab drilling is mostly on the ridge top and then coming down into this, this vein feature here. Okay. And, you know, like I said, we, we, I think we really underestimated the system. We, most of our work is just kind of focused in this, in this upper area. We did, we did a, a small talus find survey. Um, we got some rock samples and we did geophysics. And what we're seeing with the geophysics and with our drilling is that um, we underestimated it. And it, there's, there's a lot of lateral continuity and, um, if you look in this view, you can see all this goss and down on the slope, we don't have any data down there. The, the IP lines ran through there and we do have really nice anomalies and they correlate with gossons. So we're just starting. And, you know, Dustin took the first sample up here in 2020. He identified a gosson, you know, went out there, camped, went and collected the first sample. 2021, we did, well, that same year we did mapping, some rocks, some soils talus finds and then we did the ip survey and here we are drilling only two years later so it's it's been a it's been a pretty um a pretty quick <laughs> quick ride to drilling for this target okay so this is zoomed in on that ridge top so so now you can kind of locate yourself so you know up is north and then here's this mapped the, the vein corridor that kind of disappears into talus to the west and here's that really nice pile of Breccia. And you can see the real rusty rock in here too. It's pretty easy to spot it. And the talus finds um, through there, 
picked that up as well. So we had really anomalous gold up to eight grams in, in talus mines across this body. And so the strategy was to just start here, just sit right in, on the breccia and just start drilling into that. And, and then we um, had... To, 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 I mean, I can see your holes, one, two, three, four, five, are all, um, um, they're all kind of out in a, in a, basically in a kind of a um, starfish fan, really. Mm-hmm. Um, w- was that the original plan to do that, that starfish kind of, because you've got the one pad, you thought, right, well, we can, we're going to set up on the breccia and we're going to drill out to the one side there and we're going to drill out to the other side here and, and we're going to test the other side. Was that the plan, just to drill out the breccia from the inside? Yeah, yeah just... The plan was to just find it and try to pin down a geometry. So we figured, well, our best interpretation would be it's probably steep. It's a breccia body, so it's probably cylindrical. Um, and we just worked work from there. So we wanted to collar right in it as best we could and just start um, pinning down its geometry. And did you had you already planned to do that second pad down that other line? Um, to where holds 9, 10, 11, and 12 are. This cluster. Yeah. Uh, that, wasn't pl- that wasn't planned, no. Um, so you- we, did, we left some room for kind of chasing it down, but, but this was kind of a follow-up of what we hit here. Yeah, so you, you were definitely going to drill two, three, four, or five holes from that first pad, and then you were going to mm-hmm. potentially move the rab rig, depending on what you saw, to another target area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, you're up and, to, so then, and you're you're up to hole 27. Is that the top the highest hole number I can yeah, see? Yeah, and there are some more coming as well. So we've got a couple more pads in here and down here. Okay. And I think we're moving uh any day now to Langara. We finally decided we <laughs> you know we're running out of time for the rat, so we gotta get to, we gotta get our other targets drilled. Okay. And those those lines, that line 3500 and the line 3700, is that have you got a local grid set up? And so those hundred meter spacing. These are the geo, the IP lines. And so these little arrows are showing you where the, the conductors and the chargeability anomalies are located along that line. And you can see here, they correlate re- really nicely with our surface geochem actually. Yeah. So they pick up this breccia perfectly. Actually, it works really well. Um, and same thing with the vein corridor, you, you're picking it up here. So we had pretty high confidence in the geophys. Um, we have numerous anomalies um, to the east and west of these lines as well that we haven't tested. But you know, it, when you're when you're drilling that that short of holes, you know, we don't want to take big step outs. We want to tr- what we're trying to do is pin this down so that we can diamond drill it efficiently. And you know, the diamond drill is really expensive, and the RAB has been an amazing tool to outline what the geometry is because these systems are very hard to chase. They're, you know, they're going to do this and then this and then this, and, you know, we have to kind of pattern that out. And that, that's been one of our challenges at, at cloud drifter. It's mostly undercover and we're trying to drill this, this big target um, with structurally focused, you know, min within it. And the RAB has, has done such a great job of getting this ready. So I can see you put in pretty much 19 holes into that sulfide breccia. And mm. and you then you've got um, these holes 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23 are in the, let's call it the gap zone. And then you've got uh, 24 to 27 inside that, the mapped vein corridor with the two things in progress, one kind of filling in that gap and the other one to the, mm. to the south of the bridge. How are these related to each other? Did you find the edges of the breccia? Um, uh, are you seeing lots of, vein material in that vein corridor is it you know how's it how how are they relating to each other okay um so i'll just point out sort of as we're describing these targets the the breccia target area is 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 going to include sort of this hole and this hole in progress so it's sort of this domain here and and mostly that's wall rock hosted min and it has a certain pathfinder signature. The intrusive target area is best kept, it's, you know, this whole cluster because the intrusion is low angle. So these ones um, are kind of targeting that general sort of min as well. Uh, In terms of how they're related, um, I think in general, actually this is probably an easier slide to show you if I just jump to this one. So these are the XRF results. 
Um, As I mentioned previously, it's, these are the pathfinders for gold. So, you know, we're not presenting these because we think we're onto base metal system with the copper, lead and zinc. We know that these are associated with gold and they have a pretty good correlation throughout. And so they're all showing the same pattern. So everywhere we're getting these intercepts, we're seeing these pathfinders pick up and we're seeing vein material or breccia material in the chips. So yeah. I would say overall, we've got kind of two major kind of structural features and then a few question marks. Um, yeah. This breccia target that we interpreted was steep. <laughs> well, maybe there's one steep and we don't know where it is, but what we did hit was this um, kind of gently dipping feature. You can see it here pretty nice yeah, like this. Yeah. And that projects into that domain and it broadly correlates with our bedding geometry. And so we need to see the rocks <laughs> to interpret this because it would be, um, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't normally interpret a breccia to be low angle like this, uh, but we do see breccia class within this. Um, so mm. we're not really clear on what, what that means, but it is a, a low angle horizon. Yeah. And so it could be something highly reactive. We have a lot of really mafic and clastic rocks around, and those I'm sure you know are just incredibly reactive and really good at dumping out gold. And so there's probably a component to that. Um, I don't believe it just came in like that. I think there are feeders to that, but we're going to need more than 50 meter depth to understand that. Um, but I think we got really lucky here in the Breccia target area because the the low angle geometry is so easy to drill with the wrap because it, it only goes shallow, uh, but this would have been diamond drill almost would have been overkill for this. Yeah. But this gave us a chance to hit it several times and get its geometry. So that's kind of the main thing we found. Um, we had, we have a major structural zone to the South. And I think this min zone is probably rooted in that. We tried to drill it a few times <laughs> And it didn't go well. Um, you know, it's just, it's a major structure. And um, we just were, we couldn't get the holes very deep in there. So that's going to be a job for the diamond drill. Yeah. Um, but that's a pretty right. important part of the story. So we have this east-west um, steeply self-dipping structural zone. Can I, can I ask uh, you just to, can, can, so, so sorry, you, you said the, the, the main structural, the, the deeper structural zone you said is east-west. Yeah, so there's an, an east-west major structural zone, and then we have this kind of low west dipping, uh, possibly bed parallel domain. And then we have, uh, I didn't get to the, the kind of sheeted vein and breccia zone in the intrusive coasted area, but this is northerly and it dips to the east. Um, and <laughs> I just, I love seeing so many different geometries at play. I think it's just such a good indication, such a good structural setting to have sort of three really strong prevailing geometries. Mm. And I just really like that we're getting low angle and steep and multiple geometries that are, um, that these fluids are clearly traveling along. Have you sketched out a diamond drill plan already, or are you going to wait for the assays? No, we're, we, well, <laughs> the assays should be in any day now already from the first holes. Um, I don't believe it's going to greatly change what we want to diamond drill. Uh, we know there's grade. Uh, we know where these um, inter intervals are. Um, you know, we don't know what the gold will be yet, but I think we will start getting the gold in uh, by the time the, the diamond drill goes there but we don't need to i think we've got what we need you know we've got the structural patterns and we've already we've already started plunking our diamond drill plan into leapfrog um to start to look at how this all comes together you know because you have you know this and this and this and you know they're clearly all centered on on something and one of the really um one of the really nice things about day trip is that these are the shallowest uh, vein textures that we see so far and what I think that implies is that we could have a significant vertical to play with because we have other zones throughout the district where we know we can get high grade gold for a given texture or mineralogy and so if we know we're at the very top of this 
and we can prove this out. You know, we've got we've got so much vertical playroom, and this being on the top of the ridge, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for you know setting up a drill hole like uh, on in the valley bottom and kind of going in from either side, for example. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be pretty neat to see how this starts to come to depth. <laughs> when you are um, tinkering in Leapfrog and um, kind of throwing ideas out, are you putting down kind of are you tracing 200 meter holes, 400 meter holes. Um, <laughs> I, I know it's, this is budget dependent. And I know it's going to get cleared by the yeah. board and all of that, but you know, just what are you uh, amongst yourselves, kind of in, uh, the geologists around the, around the, the terminal, the computer terminal of, of an evening, <laughs> you know, what, what are you, what are you um, thinking? And obviously you, you've got a, an eye on kind of um, logistics and commercial returns. And, you know, what, what I, I can sense from the way that you talk about the, that you're interested in, you know, getting value results um, rather than just doing a science project? It's hard to say how we're going to drill because if we're still in the system, uh, we will obviously keep drilling. We we need to twin our, our best intercepts, right? And so those, yeah. those are kind of scattered about, but we need to go back to those pads and twin those and confirm that the RAB accurately sampled that material. Yeah. The one of one of the challenges with um, planning the deeper drill targets is that our geophysics doesn't go deep enough. You know, we have just kind of that upper skin. I think it's 150 meters the the lines projected down to, and okay. so you know when we're trying to target below that, we don't have great data. Um, so I guess I would say that as we get deeper, we're getting into lower confidence domain not in terms of prospectivity in terms of de-risking it and yeah. we're looking at doing deeper ip because the ip is working so well and um i think it might be conservative to refrain from deep drilling until we have that data and we can really do it cost efficiently might you be able to do the ip this year we're look we're looking into that okay um um, but the now, drill, um, we do plan to get a drill on this zone, um, potentially in the quite near future, uh, potentially in a week <laughs> or two weeks. Um, and so it, we wouldn't likely have that data when we start, uh, but we've got, we've okay. already outlined enough with the RAB that, we've, you know, we've got a lot already to test. And the fact that we couldn't get at all really through that easterly structural zone that we think this is very much rooted in. Um, you know, that's a fair bit of meters right there, just testing some of that strike length of that of that yeah. fault zone. I mean, pick a number, you know, 10 meters at 250 meters average is 2,500 meters of drilling. And, you know, some will be 100 meter holes and some might be 350 meter holes. Yeah. Um, is, is that the kind of ballpark you're thinking, kind of 2,000, 3,000 meters? For, for just the diamond drilling? Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, we, we, we could... Um, we could increase. I mean, right now we, we've been talking about a minimum of 7,500 meters of diamond drilling, and we would like to do probably at least 5,000 at Cloud Drifter, but that leaves quite a bit of room. So, you know, 2,500 meters uh, could be reasonable, but we'll have to see how the drilling goes. Like, it's quite broken. Um, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, we'll probably have to start with HQ and just just get through that rubble. And then see see how that goes. But the, well, you know that it is shallow drilling. It could go really quick. So you know if it's going good and we could drill off you know the shallow min, like that could be we could be getting pretty good meters there. So it, it's that's that's the challenge. The you know the budget for the drilling depends a lot on the on how the production goes and how far that money can go. Maybe if we um get in triple tubing, it might 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 help you. Um, but listen, we've been speaking about um day trip. Um, and we need to, if you could, just we need to touch on Langara and Cloud Drift of what you've, what your your aims are for this year. Absolutely. Uh, which one should we talk about first? <laughs> well, you said the Radbrook is going to Langara. Yes. So we'll be moving to Langara after day trip, and we've got uh, quite a no-brainer target at Langara. So Langara was discovered initially by prospectors, and they went in, you know, on horseback, and you know, went up these ridiculous talus slopes. And they were able to, you know, develop a few adits 
around. And, and that's like a lot of the exploration, a lot of the work that happened on this property was mostly in the 1930s with these adits. And it, it really hasn't been a lot since. So that was uh, the kind of discovery story for Langara. And they mined, um, they mined like right into the slope, quite a gnarly, you know, <laughs> steep slope. You can actually still see the pack trail kind of zigzagging up, up the telescope. Um, and that's what we want to drill. We want to drill to add it. Um, we found, you know, these blocks of rock that, that, that were from the dump pile. And so we don't know what they were mining, you know, what was extracted. Um, the blocks they dumped out were, you know, just straight hydrothermal quartz sulfide. And, you know, we, we threw some of those in a bag. We've got like 14 grams from their, the rejects. Um, it's probably some kind of a breccia. It's, it's in a really broken zone. It's where we get like a northerly kind of main trend meets an easterly one. So it's a, it's a very structurally complicated zone with a lot of fracturing. So I would imagine some kind of like cylinder that, that sort of that intersection line between the sort of easterly structural zone and the northerly sheeted vein trend. And so we managed to build a pad right on top of the, the adit. And we're going to do the same as we did a day trip, just, just drill, you know, a kind of spider pattern off of that pad and see if we can um, just figure out what the geometry is and where it is. And again, this is, this is de-risking for, for diamond drilling, trying to get as much info and geometry as we can. Um, Langara deserves a lot more work. It's kind of been a bit ignored, not for any good reason. It's a, it's a great target. Um, you know, Cloud Drifter took so much of our energy getting that worked up and ready for diamond drilling. And we, we haven't put enough work into Langara. And I, I think more rad drilling will help a lot. Um, but we've gotten in all the way, you know, back to the backside of Langara. And it's, it really is a mountain scale, right? It's a, it's a whole mountain. And we get kind of veins and mineralization throughout. And we haven't really put that story together very well yet. But is think, that um, we need to talk about the story. It's it's about building up those layers of data: the geology, the mapping, the geochemistry, the the, the spectral information. You know the, yeah. the whole range of of layers that normally one does prior to drilling. And it looks as if you're in the process of compiling that, but uh, putting in some rab holes just because you've got a focal point. Yeah, um, I think I think rab could be a really good way to start to pin down what the patterns are doing in in different areas because we've got quite a few different areas of mineralization um but the target would be something you know at depth like we need to see where these patterns kind of come together where these structural zones are um, one of the challenges with langara is because of the topography it's it's not you can't build a pad everywhere and yeah. because of that um i think we we need to have pretty high confidence in what we're actually seeing that you know what we think is happening and you know if you can you can do conservative pads if you can build them everywhere, you know, um, but we can't. So we need to do a better job. And um, one of the challenges there is there's a, like a pyritic background because the early hornfells made this like big pyritic hornfells, which we don't get in the other zones. Um, it doesn't really have any significance to the mineral system. In my opinion, it is totally pre, um, but it does interfere with our ability to do IP. And that's why we haven't done IP yeah. Langara. And that's the main reason why um, we don't yeah. know as much about Langara. Yeah. And I think RAB could be uh, a key there, you know, okay. doing even grid RAB drilling in kind of different areas of the mountain, putting together concept and then, and then, you know, going in with the diamond drill and drilling those deeper holes to kind of target these feeders. So it sounds that um, Langara is pretty much a, kind of, um, you're going to use this as a, proof of concept almost a play opener so um, yeah we, we need to show that it's there see if we can find it and um and we don't know what kind of grades we're talking about you know langara is clearly a unique system um it has a different um you know slightly different pathfinders and mineralogy compared to cloud drifter and I, I think it makes sense to approach that as a as its own system. And so, you know, one of the things we have to prove is, you know, what can that system do? Is it's, is it's best, better than cloud drifter or, you know, like where does it kind of sit in that group of, of gold systems like day trip and, and all of those. And that's part of what, what we need to do with this hole is, is see what those, what that ore shoot actually was. 
was that they were pulling out of there. Okay, good. And that takes us straight through to um, Cloud Drifter, um, which has obviously um, absorbed a lot of information, uh, absorbed a lot of energy. You know, you've you've you say you had to, you've done a lot of work to get it ready for drilling. So you've 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 built up those layers. You presumably um, relied quite a lot on the IP just just by inference. We we used the IP. So last year, I'll just kind of give a recap on kind of what we did and sort of what we're doing this year. So last year, our our key data sets were the soil grid and our IP. And we mostly focused on the chargeability because it did correlate with surface min. And I mean, we, you know, cloud drifter is steep and it's mostly covered in trees. And so, you know, all of the surface data we could get there, we worked really hard for. <laughs> and so we had limited surface info. So, you know, I didn't have the luxury of going out and, and mapping out a fault or a vein corridor. We did find some local areas where we could do that, but it wasn't, it wasn't enough data to target with. And so we leaned heavily on our soil geochemistry and we used chargeability because yeah. it looked pretty good. And we had four kind of pretty focused highs that we wanted to test. What we found, um, what we learned from that was that um, I think it's the conductivity that is doing a better job at Cloud Drifter. So chargeability is picking up more um, just like disseminated or disconnected sulfide. And this is a big hydrothermal system and you can see sulfide from the top to bottom pretty much of every hole that we drilled at Cloud Drifter. It's, it's kind of a, <laughs> it's sort of omnipresent. And so, so those chargeability sorry, highs. So you talk about sorry. what you drilled at Cloud Drifter. Um, these are the holes you drilled last year. Yeah, la last year. And so yeah. it, it's just, it's too much noise and the chargeability wasn't picking up the high grade. And so we drilled the chargeability and it didn't really work that well. And the soil anomalies, what, we, what we're learning from last year as well is that they, there isn't a one-to-one. -one. So we know we have a three kilometer by two kilometer, you know, monster soil anomaly. And it's a big gold system. It has a lot of continuity. And that's what the drilling demonstrated as well. You know, broad gold anomalism in, in these drill holes. But the soils aren't working very well to target high grade either. So they're getting us into the area and they're working, but it's not a one-to-one, -one. you know, we have examples of, of areas where we hit, you know, grade almost at surface and there's no soil response there. And, and, you know, vice versa, we've had areas with some of our highest soil response and we didn't really hit something comparable in the drill hole. And so we're weighting our, our targeting much less on those data sets. And this year we're moving to um, conductivity. And part of the reason I think the conductivity is working is that we found the grade is closely associated with breccia. And so the high grade intervals, you need the breccia. Breccias are cemented by sulfide. And with okay. a conductor, you want to see like continuity or connectivity of the sulfide. So, you know, like VMS is a good example where you would use that data set because you, you should have a horizon of connected um, sulfide minerals, whereas chargeability would work, for example, really well um, with porphyry. Okay, so uh, can I just ask, did you go back and reinterpret the, the IP and the, the data sets? Did you reinterrogate your geophysical data sets to, um, to focus on the conductivity or did you have to do new geophysics? Uh, no, the, the IP is all the same, um, but all we, all we did was we looked at it and we saw, okay, we've got a couple holes that are going into the lower mountain. Most of our drilling was kind of in the upper mountain. So we had a couple go into the lower mountain and the one that didn't hit was out of the conductor and the one that did hit was in the conductor. And so it was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're going to wait a little heavier on that. Um, and really, in general, the best way to sum up our program is, you know, last year we were in the upper mountain and this year we're moving down. And, and there's, a, okay. there's a difference between the upper, we have this um, affable peroxine diorite sill in the upper mountain and a, a brittle deformation zone there. In the lower mountain, it's uh, younger, evolved, you know, quartz diorite sill, low angle sill. And 
for whatever reason, uh, I don't know yet, but the mineralization seems to be much more focused in the lower mountain. And it might have to do with that host rock, some kind of rheology feature. You know, that upper diorite is so reactive. Um, it may be that it's, um, its effect is just a, a very distributed style of mineralization, whereas in the lower mountain, it's not as reactive. And then you can get these really focused. Um, or it might have to do with kind of the difference between a feeder and, you know, in the lower mountain, you're getting more into kind of structurally focused feeder zones. And then as you go up, they're kind of, yeah, you know, maybe the, distributing laterally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, stress is, you know, the, the high pressure, whatever it is, the kind of the, maybe the, the, the stress actually contained the fluid, fluid flow into more discrete zones. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned earlier that you've got a kind of a 5,000 meter minimum target for Cloud Drifter. Have you started that? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're well into that. So we've got sort of three uh, broad target areas as we've kind of clustered them. So it's uh, we're calling one the eastern target area. And that's um, that's kind of in the lower or northern East Cloud Drifter. We've got the Pad 400 target area, which is largely follow-up from last year. Yep. And then we've got the Western target area. So we wanted to start with the Pad 400 and we're on our third third pad there. Okay. And what, what are you seeing? I mean, is it encouraging? I mean, we, we've very much started with day, day trip. Is that because you're, that's where the most exciting geology you're seeing is, or is it equally good in Cloud Drifter? Well, they're difficult to compare. <laughs> um, the, the other challenge is that um, at, at day trip, we have data, you know, we have something already returned. We can define our zones. At Cloud Drifter, although we have seen MIN uh, last year and we started to learn how it grades, it's very difficult to predict. Um, so, you know, we've got, um, we're doing way more structural targeting this year. And so for the pad 400 area, most of our targets are structural and structural intersections. And everywhere that we projected those, we're getting mineralization. And I can't predict at all <laughs> what it's going to be, um, but everything's where we predicted it. And um, we're super happy with our structural data set this year. We had um, Dan Core with Fathom Geophysics work on our our MEG and LIDAR data, and he he came up with some new structural interp, and um, it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, it was totally predictive, which is why I think it's fantastic. <laughs> um, when we start plotting them up, you know, you look at last year's drilling, and everywhere he projects one, uh, we have an intercept. And yeah. And that's what it's, that's what we're seeing this year too. You know, where, where those, where those structures are that he's predicted, um, we're, we're finding the hydrothermal material kind of right where it should be. Um, so I don't think there's anything too weird going on here. We're, you know, we're stepping out from what we had last year, like, you know, following up on 73 grams over a meter. And then we've got the 6.88 over nine meters of breccia down there. And those are, those are along a structural, uh, they correlate structurally and they're separated by about hundred meters. So that, that's kind of just a super easy target to say, yep. okay, well, let's, let's infill that and try to target areas that we think are going to be more complicated along that, that structural trend. So yeah, it's, it's really nice to see it's working. Um, that's something we didn't have at all last year. You know, we had a few structures that we had interpreted but they were so biased on the outcrop because, you know, I did structural, the structural mapping there in 2020. Um, but all of my data was coming from kind of this small area up on the ridge and on the cliff. And then we tried to sort of project that in and make that work. And it didn't. And we were missing, you know, most of the key structures. And, you know, we did try to target some of the LIDAR structures. But what we're finding is that I think the most fundamental faults are not... Um, they're more resistive. And so the ones that are filled with hydrothermal stuff, they're not necessarily making, you know, a planar topographic low. And I think that where you see the planar topo low, it's kind of an offset late little shift. And so you get the fluids coming in and then they seal it. And then you get something lateral to that that just kind of breaks. And so then it sort of tricks you and, and gets you off from the the structure you should be targeting. Do you have any images of that um, structural interpretation in your kind of drill plan? Uh, yeah, I think I do. Let me just... We, sh we should be wrapping up quite soon, but... Um... Okay, so this is the 
this is the pad 400 target area. So these are these are our intercepts from last year, uh, the yellow and the red. And um, the, this we only had one pad in the lower mountain, and that was mostly because we were limited by starting in the upper mountain, and then we were limited by pad builders. So we didn't get to drill a lot of these lower targets. Yeah. So this line work is uh, this is the this is the work Dan did for us. And, you know, he gave these geometry, um, he figured out, you know, cross-cutting relationships. I mean, you can see these, these are really well done. You know, he doesn't just draw lines everywhere that just kind of uh, mutually cross each other for no reason. Um, he yeah. did a really good job and all of them, he justified the reasons. And anywhere that I did manage to map structures where I had enough outcrop, they coincide perfectly. And, you know, he's even putting the kinematic sense on them. And it was the same as what I had in the field. So it's, it's quite a good product. Um, and where's the drilling plant? So you're, you're drilling um, 5,000 meters across those uh, three white circles and mm -hmm. and you're in the middle of drilling the, the follow-up, the phase two follow-up follow in the pad 400 target area. Yeah, so so we're here right now and then we'll soon move to the, the Eastern target and um, we'll get into this one. And then we'll do the Western target next is our plan. And those are chargeability, sorry, um, conductivity anomalies that you've shown there on the geophysics. Uh, there's quite, there are quite a few things we're looking at. Like I'll just back up a little bit. So this is the, where we're going next. This is the Eastern target area. Um, the main merits of, of this target is it's the texture of the rock and, it, and it's hard to communicate, I think, but I'll try. It's it's basically that we have very spaced out outcrop. Where we sample it, we're getting high grade. You can see the, the grade here. Um, but we're we're really compelled by the texture. So these kind of textures are just, they're really diffuse. <laughs> you know, the veins are really stringer. And these rock samples are representative of these small outcrops that we found in the forest. They're not just really focused veins that we chipped out, you know, this is, um, this is representative. And, and what these drills are testing in the East is the, is the possibility that these for continuity. So you can see down here, this is the measurement like between these outcrops with these examples. And um, we believe there's, there's potential for continuity. So it's a classic bulk tonnage target. Yeah, you could say that, um, that would be the idea. So not as much of a structurally focused zone, um, yeah, and we have a few reasons to, to think um, that it is different there. We don't actually have, uh, well, we have a, a conductivity anomaly there. We've got a chargeability anomaly there. Dan interpreted a large scale um, structural intersection domain from his, his fault line work. And he also interpreted, as you saw on the last slide, this, um, oh, sorry, wrong way. Uh, he interpreted a radial symmetry feature, which... Uh, his interpretation is that is a location for a steep feeder body, possible intrusion or structural feeder zone. Um, and it's right in this area where, where we see these rock textures. Um, of all the thin sections that I've got, <laughs> only two from one location um, stained for potassium as well. And it just indicates, you know, these, are, these fluids are probably heating up. There, there's something unique happening here, more acidic. Um, and, and this is the concept with this target. So we have very little surface data, but what we have seen um, suggests that there could be big potential here. When are you going to drill the eastern target area? It could be any time now. <laughs> um, right. It, it, it hinges on kind of what we hit in the pad 400 and when, when we decide we're comfortable, you know, putting a pause on that. Um, we're, our strategy is, is potentially to come back to pad 400. So we want to get a few in there get the assays while we're drilling another target and then come back and target based on those assays. Like, as I mentioned the, you know, we do have way shorter assay time, which is great, but it's not as good as the, as the RAB where we just have immediate targeting info. And then we're going to um, finish on the, the Western target. Thank you, Gail, so much for taking me through that. It's really nice speaking to a geologist actually in the field and kind of living the program. It's, it gives it a much more um, <laughs> um, immediate sense. Are you splitting your time between Cloud Drifter logging the core and um, day trip? Well, I, I'm right now because I've, I've got a baby, I'm doing a lot of more work from home. <laughs> so a lot of my work right now is in LeapFrog. So Paul Stewart, um, he's 
he's running the program here and we're kind of constantly on leapfrog together, you know, putting in all of our, our real time data and just targeting. And so that's a lot of what I do. And then I check in as often as I can uh, to get to see the core and the rock chips. Like this is my, my third visit this summer, but you know, I can't be here all the time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish I could. Um, well, great. Thank you so much for talking to me. And I very much look forward to seeing the, uh, the ongoing progress at both those target areas, both those um, prospect areas. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Merlin. Great. No worries. See you later. Okay. Yeah.